There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. You're listening to Deconstructive Criticism. I am Aaron Flam, author and comedian Andrew Doyle has just released three of his books in Swedish, Freedom of Speech, Woke and The New Puritans. He joins me in a conversation about the clusterfuck that is our current state of affairs. Thank you for supporting Deconstructive Criticism. You can contribute on patreon.com slash Aaron Flam with PayPal, Bitcoin and on Swish 0046 My own book, This is a Swedish Tiger, about how and why social democracy opened the door for Islamists to the West and their inherent Jew hatred, is available on Kindle. Author, satirist, TV star and stand-up comedian Andrew Doyle is as sharp with his wit as he is with his pen. I have interviewed Andrew before when his book Woke, written as the character Titania McGrath, came out. Titania is a woke Twitter troll that satirizes wokeness by being, well, just woke as F. It is hilarious and a much-needed antidote to the strict puritanism of the intersectional left. The New Puritans is a more serious analysis of wokeness written in his own name, and since freedom of speech is the enemy of said left, he had to write a book about that too. All three books are now available in Swedish, and I suggest that you buy them and study them. Any and all rhetorical weapons are needed in the fight ahead, and if any country is infected by leftism, it is Sweden. Andrew Doyle is a playwright, journalist and political satirist from Northern Ireland who has written for the fictional character Jonathan Pye and created the character Titania McGrath. Andrew also has a TV show on GB News titled Free Speech Nation. Enjoy. Welcome back to Deconstructive Criticism, Andrew Doyle. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. And thank you for dinner last night. It was lovely, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Nice group of people. Very. Yeah, yeah. sharing a lot of wrong think. 
Yes. And how long have you been in Sweden now? Uh, two days. All right. And how long are you staying? Another day. All right. Yeah. So and I won't. I won't be able to see much. I won't be able to be much of a tourist. No. But uh, although I'm staying in the old town, so the the more historical part of town, so I've pretty much seen all the best bits anyway. Yes. Well, yeah. Stockholm is rather small. Yes. So you, you can pretty much walk across it in forty minutes time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last time you were here, we talked about your book Woke, written yeah. under the pseudonym Titania McGrath, which is now blown, I suppose. Uh, people know you are... Oh, yeah. I mean, they they knew when the book came out um, because an undercover ju- a journalist had done some sort of uh, investigative work and worked out that it was me. That was for The Times in London. Hmm. So actually, the week of its release coincided with that story. And so everyone knew, which actually helped the publicity for the book. I'm sure. But it wasn't deliberate. No. And at the moment, you're a TV star in England. Well, I have a show on a new channel called GB News. Uh, I have a weekly show where I talk mostly about the culture war. Uh, It's a show devoted to that. Okay, well, then I... um, And uh, now you're in Sweden because um, all of your books, uh, or at least three of them, have now been translated to Swedish and published. Yes, all, all released simultaneously, which is quite exciting. Yes, so yeah. it's uh, freedom of speech, mm-hmm. of which I understand you're a proponent. Yes, the book is in, in favour of freedom of speech. All right. <laughs> well, we, we, we are used to controversial views on this show. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, and uh, the new Pur- Puritans. Yes. Which uh, are is about the culture wars that you just mentioned. That's right. Yeah. And uh, I was going to start with something else, but uh, we might as well start there. How come you got uh, involved in the culture wars to begin with? Uh, it's a good question. It wasn't deliberate insofar as, like many people, I was uh, dragged into it, I think, because I suppose my background is stand-up comedy and playwriting and the arts generally. And unfortunately, for whatever reason, the whatever we want to call this, the woke movement or critical social justice or whatever you want to call it. You want to call it critical social I justice. Do, I've yes. read your book. So. I do want to because I think it's, uh, well, maybe we'll get onto that later. But um this movement, for whatever reason, has infected the arts, particularly, uh, and I, I would say it has, has originated from the humanities and from literary studies. And so, therefore, it started to have an impact on my life and work. Comedians, uh, I noticed, were policing each other's jokes uh, or complaining about um, certain topics being joked about. And so freedom of speech, particularly in the UK, I started to see was increasingly under threat, uh, not just from... Um, creatives and the industry, uh, but also from critics, uh, from the government even, uh, in various areas, certainly in education. And so I ended up talking about it. And just I, th- I think I wasn't intending to make this my life, but uh, the more I spoke about it, the more ostracized I became, the more angry people, and I didn't understand why, because all I was doing was saying what I th- felt to be true, which was what everyone believed up until 10 minutes ago. And you kind of, if you're open and honest about your criticisms of this movement, you become siloed, you become um, a persona non grata, I suppose. And so it just happened. I, I was sort of pushed into that. That um, sounds a lot like my own story, actually. Yes. Yeah. Uh, when I started doing stand up, I had this principle because I had all these ideas about comedy, especially stand up comedy. Yeah. And one of my principles was that I was not to do jokes of the difference between men and women because those are not not because it's politically incorrect. It, I just felt the subject matter was tired. Yes. And then a few years in, I noticed that, OK, so now we're in a situation where no male comedians do jokes about women. Yeah. But all the female comedians do sexist jokes about men. Yes. That seems a bit lopsided. 
Yep. So uh, I yep. think that's... Uh, but then it changed again. But so, so in the last few years, uh, it's become a taboo to talk about the differences between men and women completely. Uh, it's become uh, edgy again because, of course, there so many activists are saying that there are no differences between men and women and that it's all a social construct. Yes. And so actually one of the most edgy things you can do is do an old-fashioned joke about the wife or whatever, you know. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a strange situation. The old ball and chain. Exactly, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uh, so um, the arts, you say, that's where you started noticing it. I started noticing a tendency towards conformist thinking from those who are ostensibly meant to be the most free-thinking members of society, the creatives. And that, to me, was a fundamental contradiction. I don't think you can be an artist if you are simply trying to gauge what the acceptable point of view is or indeed if you are if you're using your art as a conduit uh, to express whatever the voguish ideology of the time happens to be and that is what is what has happened i mean if you go to any theatrical production in the uk now uh nine times out of ten it will be a sermon disguised as a piece of entertainment if you go and see a shakespeare play it will be um a simply a means by which the woke ideology can be um expressed and supported it's all about diversity. Uh, it's it's all about sanitizing aspects that are considered problematic. You know, um, we even I spoke to um, the artistic director of um, an opera company in Wales, and they had done a production of uh, Dead Man Walking, which was a film with Susan Sarandon about a, a true story about a man who was on death row for a crime that he did in fact commit. And uh, the opera opened with the scene of his crime, which is a rape and murder that he commits. It's quite important that you see that because the shock of seeing that really uh, raises all kinds of moral quandaries for the audience in terms of the uh, the, uh, the uh, ethics of capital punishment. But they they had a discussion and they sent out a letter to an email to all audience members, everyone who'd bought a ticket, to warn them about the opening scene and to advise that if they might be triggered or upset, they should arrive ten minutes late so that they wouldn't uh, have to see this upsetting scene. But of course, the upsetting scene is part of the artistic vision. Uh, if you don't see it... Also, they will it, be disturbing the other audience members if they arrive late. All sorts of reasons. I hate latecomers anyway. Um, but it struck me that that kind of thing, and, and similarly with trigger warnings, which are now uh, pretty common in universities, and you might say, well, there's no harm in putting a warning on a, on a work of literature if it will upset certain people. But there actually is a harm, because what it, it sends a signal. It says... It says effectively that this book is a potential weapon. It's it's like a grenade. It's like a bomb. It's something that can cause harm and damage. Words. It's that conflation of words and violence, which has seen so many problems in society. So although we might laugh at a trigger warning, like for instance, there's a, there was a trigger warning at a university on Julius Caesar that it contained scenes of a murder. Well, if you don't know that already, then you really shouldn't be studying literature in the first place. There was a, um, one on uh, uh, The Old Man and the Sea by Hemingway, and the, it, it said that it contained scenes of graphic fishing. Um, what? Graphic. Excuse me? Yeah, 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 yeah. you heard I, I, me. I, I, yes, you I just did didn't hear comprehend no. because it's so unfathomable. So, so that I mean, these things are funny. You know, you see them and they are self-satirizing. They're already funny. But they, like I say, I think they point to something more serious, yes. more, more troubling. And not just uh, the conflation of words and violence, but the infantilization of adults. You know, we forget that <laughs> we call them kids when they go to university, but they're adults. And they've chosen to study the, these, these subjects. Yes, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned, I think, in the last chapter of your book, The New Puritans, yeah. now out in Swedish, I think you, you, you mentioned mass infantilization yeah. quite at least two times. Well, I, I think. think it's a key problem. I think it's paternalistic. I think it's based on a lack of 
faith in humanity, a lack of faith in us to make our own decisions. Ultimately, I believe in liberty, individual autonomy. And this movement does not believe in that. It believes that if there are bad words out there, then we, the public, the demos, like drones, will just imbibe these words and, and, and enact them and become evil, racist, homophobe, sexists, or whatever, you know, insert epithet there. Uh, that, that, I think, is a fun, fundamentally, it encourages us, us to be treated like children. And worse than that, you now find students asking to be treated like children. You must protect us from these harmful words. There's that incredible viral video from uh, Yale University, which is easy to find, where a member of staff had uh, written to the pupils who had, the students who had complained about Halloween costumes. They'd said there were some really upsetting, triggering Halloween costumes at the at, at the party. Can we ban them? And uh, one of the members of staff had written to them all and saying, "No, because you're adults and we can't be your parents." and People have to choose to make their own decisions about what they wear and how they react. Uh, and there's a viral video of all of the students surrounding this member of staff's husband, who is also a professor, screaming at him, screaming, you are meant to make this a safe space for us. It's not, it's meant to be a home. It's not meant to be. When was this? About three years ago. It's the interesting. I mean, we don't, I mean, Halloween celebrations have just started to come to Sweden. Yes. And uh, I, the point of uh, Halloween costumes uh, is that they're supposed to be scary slash sexy. Yeah, right, right, right. And I think you had some students dressing as Bill Cosby or something like that, or making, make, you know, making a joke of the idea of, of what Halloween traditionally was. And the students were, but, but, the, but the video is shocking because they're screaming and they're swearing at the professor and calling him a motherfucker and all this sort of stuff. And, and uh, you just think, Why aren't they just expelled immediately? What you know? Wh why is this being tolerated? Why aren't they expelled immediately? Because we've well, partly I suppose it's because the universities are sort of like businesses now, where the the, the students are treated as customers. But I, I thought you had state-sponsored universities in the UK as well. Well, this video was from the US. Oh um, right. But but um, in the UK, uh, well, we don't. We no longer have grant. When I was at the university, I had a full grant because I wasn't wasn't from a wealthy family, and and so they. You know, you got money, but that stopped the year after I went to university. So oh. uh, increasingly, it's actually harder for people to go to university. They get loans uh, to cover it mostly, but it's not just that. It's also that academic staff are terrified of the students. They're terrified of complaints. You know, I had a friend who taught art history at a university and was told by the faculty that he mustn't show any nude images in his lectures because it might upset certain religious sensibilities. And again, which religious sensibilities would that be? It would be Islam. Yes, it would be. Wouldn't uh, it? Well, yes. And, yes. and well, but then, you know, there's a history of uh, if you go back long enough at the Vatican, there was a time where they, they were chopping off all the penises of the statues, which is why when you go around the Vatican now, you can see a lot of them have been glued back on, which I find quite funny because there must have been a box of these penises somewhere in the Vatican vaults for many years. But, you know, obviously things have changed in Christianity and Christendom generally, if you want to use that old fashioned term. But in Islam, clearly, this is a sensitivity. And my friend who was teaching art history did try to make the case that if you can't show nude bodies, you can't really teach art history, particularly Western art. Yeah. Um, it, it sort of <laughs> immiserates the entire uh, discipline. And it can't really be done. But he had to do it, otherwise he would have lost his job. So there's all those various... You know, universities were, are meant to be about knowledge, the pursuit of truth, etc., Now they seem to be largely factories for laundering ideological ideas uh, or propagating those ideas.
And that to me is just the opposite of what they're meant to be for. Yes, same here, but we have, you know, state-funded universities right. and uh, ed, uh, higher learning institutions. Yes. Uh, so um, here it's probably been going on for a much longer time. Yeah. But you write in the last chapter of your book about uh, mass infantilization, uh, that it's a failure of socialization, right? Uh, yeah. It, it, the, the, these young people haven't been socialized into society properly. So uh, are you blaming, blaming just the parents then? No. I think it's cultural trends more broadly. I think I make the case that in order to be an aut autonomous adult, you have to be effectively socialized uh, in childhood. But that would be the parent's responsibility. That's partly that. Yeah, absolutely. But also schooling. Uh, I think I've probably become more old fashioned. I've, I've, got, I've grown to realize that the system of education that I went through was actually didn't serve me well. And I'm continually catching up on my own education by reading. Uh, but we didn't study Latin or Greek. We didn't study the classics. Uh, we were taught books that were not particularly challenging. And when was this? Well, that was in the uh, 80s and 90s. Right. Uh, so late 80s and 90s. And I feel that my parents' generation had a much better education than I did. And we had uh, very little in the way of discipline in the way that they did. So I think I, my ideas about education have changed. And I suppose that's the case I'm trying to make in the book. That Because a lot of people will try to say that uh, my stance on free speech, for instance doesn't apply when it comes to children, but I know it doesn't apply when it comes to children because I think children need boundaries and, and discipline, and et cetera. And the reason I want to enforce that so much is because I, I wholeheartedly believe in uh, liberty for adults. Our, uh, we should be able to make our own decisions about our own lives. And that's something I will always stand by. But I think that that's harder when you, when you haven't really grown up, when society hasn't let you grow up. Obviously. But that's, I mean, it's a failure of parents. But as you said, if uh, university administration takes part of this in, in, in this infantilization, then well, society becomes culpable, I well, suppose. Well, it's not just that. I mean, it's culture. I, I, I mean, to give you an example... Culture is, consists, consists of individuals. It does. I suppose what I mean by culture specifically, let's take the arts. If I want to read a work of fiction, I will always uh, choose a book that was published before I was born, because that way I know it, its quality will at least be reasonably high. Now, that suggests something to me. As in books are just were just better written yeah. 60 years ago than they are now. If you take a P.G. Woodhouse novel, which was considered light entertainment, light a light novel that 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 that, that teenagers would read, uh, adults as well, but you know it was it was not considered heavy going. But if you try and summarize uh, the plot of a Woodhouse novel, they are incredibly complex as farces. It's very difficult to do. Really? Uh, yeah. I mean, uh, basically. Uh, Wooster and Jeeves uh, goes to a summer estate of yes. some well-to-do that they know or are related to. Yeah. Because one or several of uh, Wooster's aunts wants him to marry the heiress. Yes. Uh, while the heiress, of course, is involved with one of Wooster's friends. Yes. Uh, and another one of Wooster's friends is in love with the heiress. Yes. Yes. Whilst the heiress's friends, who's also at the castle for summer, uh, is in love with the friend that's in love with the heiress. Uh, and yeah, it, it's, uh, it's, uh, is that so complicated? It, it actually is. I mean, that, what you're describing is more like one of his short stories. All right. If you actually read one of the novels, I actually wrote down... I've read all of them. Well, I wrote down the plot for Uncle, Uncle Fred in the springtime, and I started writing about those sorts of uh, misdirections and everything, yes. and it became this sprawling... <laughs> Ne ne like mass kind of mess on this page because there were too many different interconnected strands 
Um, which, of course, is how fast works. It should be the point in fast that you actually get confused yourself while you're reading it. That's, that's sort of how it should work. And um, it's not something that he's just rushed off. No, no. And the right... But he did write quite a few of them. I wrote over 100 books. <laughs> and the, uh, the, um, the, uh, the prose style yeah. is incredible. There is no one who can write like that even now. You know, the, 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 the stylistic is just brilliant. It's, it, it's, it's, it's literary. And yet we can, they consider that just sort of uh, the equivalent of a, an airport paperback. But, but by now he must be cancelled. After all, he was in Germany during the war. Right. Well, there are a couple of things there. I mean, uh, well, the firstly to, to the point: if you pick up a, a cheap paperback from a, a an airport now, it'll be like read. It's like a child's book now, comparatively. So I, that's my point about the degradation generally. Woodhouse has had to be rewritten. In fact, the recent, the new editions of his books are now, they've taken stuff out. Really. And they've uh, yeah they've rewritten phrases that are considered offensive. Mostly offense, uh, phrases that to do with either racial depictions or even weight. The, the, uh, if, if someone is overweight, there's bits have taken out because that might upset people. Fat phobic. Fat phobic, exactly. Yes. Um, so, yeah, that has happened. Caused a bit of an uproar, though, uh, which is quite reassuring. So people weren't happy about that. And also, yeah, he was, uh, he, well, he stayed behind in France when the Germans invaded. And then while he was in, imprisoned, did some ill-advised radio broadcasts for the Nazis. Uh, but it was more to do with his temperament. You know, I, I, the idea that he was a collaborator is preposterous and has been debunked a million times. I know. And, you know, the, the, what's his character? He, he, he satirised Mosley's uh, um, black shirts in one of his novels. I can't remember the name of the character, but it's ca so caustic and brilliant. I think that character returns in several novels. Yes, he does. Yes. And, and, you know, a Nazi collaborator doesn't, do no. not you know so it's, it's uh yeah it's about shorts he wants to that's see right. the british men's knees that's he it that's all that's british it. men's knees must be visible for everyone at all times exactly yes yeah. yes yeah yes and also something about potatoes or spuds uh i don't recall but i'll all take right. your word for it hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um uh, generally how are things in england post brexit uh brexit drove england mad in a way that i don't think other People from other countries fully appreciate. I think you have to be in the midst of that storm to realize. We had, I mean, it was the largest ma mandate in our democratic history. More people voted in that vote than any other that has ever occurred. Uh, we had months and months and months of debate where everyone was participating. And there was something quite exciting about that because there's a general apathy when it comes to politics in a, a large segments of the population. And for this, that didn't appear to be the case. People were debating in the pub you know, with their friends on the football pitch, at the bus stop, everywhere. You know, there were the, these things were going... It was on the TV all the time. And yet, in spite of that, once the vote came in, uh, members of the commentariat and, and the political class decided that no one knew what they were voting for and tried to undermine it. We had a parliament attempting to undermine the vote, either to get them to re-vote, as was Labour's policy, or to just have it completely stymied entirely, as was the Liberal Democrats' policy, Nick Clegg, who was the leader of the, of the party at the time, wrote a book called How to Stop Brexit, which may as well have been called How to Stop Democracy, as far as I can see. And people just continually saying that it wasn't a legitimate vote because no one understood what they were voting for. But on the contrary, they understood more about this than any other vote they'd ever taken because we had those debates and we had those arguments. Um, so it was quite astonishing. And this goes back to the infantilism idea, this idea that 
nobody really had agency. Yeah. You know, I suppose it goes back to the, uh, they lack the, I suppose they lack the awareness, the consciousness, I suppose you'd say. Because you were pro-Brexit. Yeah, right? exactly. Uh, and uh, why? Or? Why did you dump us? It was very much specifically aimed at Sweden. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm just sick of it. Uh, sick of the Swedes. No, uh, the reason, well, my background is very much on the left economically. And I don't think it is um, consistent to espouse left-wing views while you are voting in favour of a pro-corporate, neoliberal, uh, unbureaucratic, unbureaucratic, technocratic body, a trading block that has capitalism at the heart of its constitution. I think that's an incoherent stance. I found it bizarre that all of the my left-wing friends in the UK started became sudden enthusiasts for the EU overnight, having never expressed any sentiments regarding them before, having no understanding of how the Commission works or what it does, uh, painting their faces in the EU flag colours, the incredible zealotry based on no knowledge whatsoever. These same people who had demonised the likes of Margaret Thatcher but were quite happy to cheer on the likes of Michel Barnier and, and, and Donald Tusk and Guy Verhofstadt and these various right-wing uh, politicians in Brussels. It was hilarious to me, you know, and I, I thought it was a nonsense. And I thought, ultimately, if I were to give a reason, in a nutshell, it was about democracy. It was, why are we outsourcing democratic power to unelected bureaucrats? Why would we do that? You know, Tony Benn used to have his five famous questions, which I think I'm, I might quote in the book, about politicians. The last question is, how do we get rid of you? For any democracy to work, the power has to be with the demos. If people are making decisions, changing our laws, and we can't vote them out, we no longer live in a democracy, which is why I believe that the EU had to be got rid of. And I still, I stand by it. I think even if we were left in economic ruin, it would still be the right decision, just on the principle of democracy. So how come do you think uh, that wokeism has taken over so much of the Anglo world? I'm talking United States, Canada, Australia, New Zealand. It's interesting, but what Peter Boghossian has a theory about this, that it is to do with the language, that woke ideas don't translate particularly well. To what? To any other language. And he's can... absolutely wrong, but... That's what I... Yes, yes. <laughs> that's, what, that's his argument. However... I do notice, I mean, the, 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 the Titania McGrath book has been translated into, I think, 10 languages now, and only one of them translates the title. The word woke is retained for all of the others. And there are, I mean, his view is that if you, that, that, that the ideas don't translate, but you're saying there's a, there's, that that clearly isn't the case in Sweden. Uh, no, no um, personally, I, I think if you ask me the same question I just asked you, I think that it's so noticeable in the Anglo world because you're so individualistic and you're not used to conformist and consensus-seeking ideas. Uh. What you call woke is just what we in Sweden for decades, a hundred years, have called consensus culture. And, yeah, and it's I a form of collective... It's an expression of collectivism. But then when I speak to Spanish people, they say this is a relatively new thing in their country. The woke movement is very much gripping onto Spain now, but it wasn't there. No, no, but it, it would be very hard in Latin languages who that actually separate the genders grammatically. Yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, quite. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but it has certainly taken off in the... I mean, certainly Canada is basically lost at this point. Yes. Uh, Australia is really bad. New Zealand's a joke. UK, obviously, America. Yeah, I mean, there's something about the language that does... And there must be some reason why it, it takes hold 
in the Anglosphere. Well, I, I, as I said, I, I, I think it's just more noticeable uh, when it comes for you guys because you actually mobilize a resistance to it yeah. instead of just, you know, yeah, only right. accepting it. And Well, you know, there's something in that. And I also do feel that although, you know, they call the UK Turf Island, which is a TR of trans-exclusionary radical feminist, which is just a synonym for which, basically. But they call it Turf Island because there is a real fight back against gender identity ideology in the UK, which hasn't occurred anywhere else, really, not to this extent. And I think it will be the hub of a global uh, change because it is an inco- it's, it's, it's a the ideology in of itself is, is, is a nonsense. Uh, it is a belief system that is just that depends upon the negation of reality. Um, so once someone starts speaking up about it, once someone points at the emperor and says he's naked, everyone else has permission to laugh. And I think that's what's happening in the UK, that we're, we're saying, no, there are two sexes. No human being has ever changed sex. We don't have a mysterious gendered soul that may or may not be allied with our anatomy. That thing is not true. Or that same-sex attracted young people ought to be medically fixed so that they fit into a heterosexual paradigm in the name of progress. This is not something that uh, uh, any sort of rational person can, can believe. People have, though, for the past 10 years or so, or 5, 10 years. But there's a real fight back in the UK, and it's working. And that's really is it? I think so. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the Conservative government were trying to put, push through reforms to the Gender Recognition Act to effectively mean that anyone can claim to be the opposite sex and have their birth certificate changed with very little in the way of a medical diagnosis, which is what Scotland were trying to do. And as they were trying to push that through, which Westminster actually overruled, uh, but as the Scottish government, coincidentally, as they were pushing it through, there was a very high-profile case of a man called Adam Graham, double rapist, who decided after he was uh, arrested for rape to identify as Isla Bryson, uh, a woman, and start wearing a terrible wig. And um, they were going to house him in a female prison. In fact, they were uh, accommodating him in a female prison until they'd made their risk assessment decision. Um, and this all became news at the same time as the Scottish government's vote to uh, to basically make any, anyone could identify as the opposite sex within a matter of months just by saying so. And then they had to back down. It, I think it brought down Nicola Sturgeon, who was the head of the SNP. And because, because he couldn't reply to the simple question, what a woman is. Right, right exactly. And whereas, you know, I mean, even... What's her name? Jackson, the uh, nominee for the Supreme Court, when she was quizzed about this, what is, you know, what is a yeah. woman? And she said, I can't answer that. I'm not a biologist, <laughs> even though any four year old can answer it without yes. without a degree in biology. More and more people are waking up to the point that it's very funny to watch politicians struggle to answer the most basic of questions. Keir Starmer was asked on a radio show. He's the leader of the opposition in the UK. And he was asked, can a woman have a penis? And he just stammered and stuttered and panicked. And that's funny. And the reason it's funny is we all know that he knows the answer and yes. he knows that we all know that he knows the answer, but he still can't say the answer. So that's a, that's, it's, it's almost like the Basil Fawlty thing. It's, it's funny when Basil Fawlty is angry, but he isn't able to express it because he's talking to a posh person or a lord or something. Yeah. So similarly, he, he knew the answer and we knew, but he couldn't express it. And that's funny. It's a restrained emotion. And it's, you know, it makes him a laughingstock. So now he's had to change his mind. He's, I think he's now saying that 99% of women don't have penises. Um, but even 1% of women having penises is still a lot of penises. And, For women. And, and isn't true, uh, more to the point. Um, whereas Rishi Sunak has come out and said, women don't have penises. 
it's weird that this is even a discussion. Yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, it's, it's. Uh, uh, I mean, you can imagine. I had stayed away from the topic as as a comedian my entire career. Yeah, and then suddenly I, f- like, sort of find myself doing a comedy special called Groin, where I basically <laughs> have to say, uh, men have penises and women have vaginas. Yeah, yeah. Can we all agree on that? If you think that gender is just a social construct, you've yes. never got a, a kick to your social construct. Yes. Yes. I mean, that's very funny. There's a child in Kindergarten Cop, the Arnold Schwarzenegger film. Yeah, I remember. He's about five years old and he stands up and says, boys have a penis, girls have a vagina. And even he knew. <laughs> now he would be arrested for a transphobic hate crime. Um, but it's insane. And But the, but the, ins- the sheer insanity of it is... Uh, is it's changing. I mean, I think the tipping point very much, firstly, it's the rapists in female prisons. People like Karen White, say Karen White, I, th- I don't know what his real name is, but, you know, rapist, paedophile, identifies as a woman, is moved into a female prison and goes on to sexually assault women in that prison. I mean, it actually happens. But I think this went on for a long time because if you at, at, tell the average person on the street, by the way, there are male rapists in women's prisons, they won't believe you. They'll think that's just too preposterous. But it actually is happening. There are there are rapists in in female prisons in Ireland at the moment, um, and it's so absurd. So Ireland is also on the Ireland's worse than England. Ireland is um, because they were for so many years they were obviously beholden to the Catholic Church, and they've got rid of that, and they voted again. They voted for same sex marriage and uh, and for abortion rights, and they've gone all the other way, and they just found a new religion. Uh, to sort of occupy the hole that is left by Catholicism, and they've gone full on. I mean, the island at the moment is instigating some major draconian hate speech legislation, which is even worse, I think, than Scottish hate speech legislation, and that is saying something. So that's. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Ireland for several reasons, but uh, you, I think you just said it and sort of uh, summarized your book, The New Puritans, in the process, which is they got rid of Catholicism, yeah. an old religion, and now uh, neo heathenism not yeah. hedonism heathenism yeah yeah is that uh, how you would view uh, the woke um, sectarians as as a form of neo heathens uh, are they heathens well they believe it, it's a yeah, moral they... rela- relativism yes, yes, so, yes. so that is heathen yes I, i'm sure if we cram in greta and sam smith we yeah. can probably construct some sort of, uh, uh, what would you call it? Uh, 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 the Greek word is uh, uh, not, not Parthenon, but something like that, like, a, a, you know, a, a collection of gods. Uh, yeah, that's that's Parthenon. Uh, oh, right. Oh, no, wait, wait no, sorry. No? Uh, no, it's not. It's not. It's something else. It's Pantheon. Pantheon. There yeah. you go. Because pa- pa- Parthenon is to do with the virgins. The, uh, oh, right. It's the Temple of the Virgins yes, in Greek. My mind must have been somewhere else. Yeah. <laughs> Pantheon is all the gods, yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So uh, um, can you, I mean, I just did this out, on the, out of the top of my head, yeah, uh, Greta yeah. and Sam Smith, but because you were one of the first to actually uh, classify wokeism as a religion, right? You, you must have been uh, very early out. I was very early, but I wasn't the first. No, no. But I right. was I was early in it. I've been, yeah, characterizing it as such for about eight eight years or so. But I, I know that um, others had done so be- beforehand uh, because it does share all the hallmarks of some kind of religion insofar as it it is uh, it punishes heretics, seeks out heresy. It has a form of excommunication, which we now call cancel culture. But for a while, we didn't have a name for it. 
and it believes in ultimately uh, unfalsifiable it makes unfalsifiable claims it you know the gendered soul idea is a perfect example structural racism this sort of nebulous spirit stuff that goes on um yes so have you heard about xeno pronouns uh, well i know of neo pronouns no these are xeno i don't know about xeno pronouns they are unspeakable right okay it's someone whose <laughs> pronouns are so esoteric that they cannot be mentioned fascinating yes absolute nonsense <laughs> but i mean there are them, some whose pronouns are now cat cat and cat self hmm. um, and of course you shouldn't be indulging what how these are children like i say you don't indulge a, to a toddler you tell it to shut up you know but we're just indulging it so yeah absolutely so yes or I, I i've definitely seen from a, an early stage the religious overtones to this and but also it's, it's not just a religion it's an intolerant fundamentalist religion as to whether it is essentially heathen it's certainly philistine uh it certainly hates the arts the arts for this movement are simply a means to propagandize if it doesn't support the the cause it has no other purpose whenever an ideology infects any institution that institution then becomes solely about the promotion of the ideology and not about its original function hence the universities which are no longer about the pursuit of truth but is about the promotion of this similarly even in uh, the nhs or the police or whatever uh, schools you know so all of these libraries particularly i mean library there are librarians who are hiding books if they consider them to be problematic or or not stocking them at all there's a real weird problem with the uh, wokeism in libraries in librarians the, the 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 british library in london has a decolonizing working group that decided to create a watch list of authors who had connections with the slave trade so that they could keep an eye on these problematic authors the the group even decided that the the shape of the library was a problem because it, it resembled a battleship and was therefore militaristic and colonial so these people are insane and just very very stupid i think a lot of them i can't remember what the question was <laughs> it doesn't really matter i think we're 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 heading somewhere um we're recording this on the 25th of october 2023 it's mm. almost three weeks after uh hamas's uh terror pogroms against israeli jews uh, how many british artists have signed lists in support of israel there were two thousand so in support of israel no, the opposite <laughs> The opposite. Uh, 2,000 in support of Palestine. Oh, right. Uh, that that happened, would make way more sense. Yeah, that happened last week. Steve Coogan was one of the lead signatories. Of course he was. I signed a declaration in support of British Jews uh, a few days later. You and how many others? About 100. Oh, uh, right. 150, something like that. It's more than I thought. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I think there was a... Um, what was shocking about, you know, that statement by Coogan, etc. There was some kind of nod to we don't support killing of civilians that was sort of a little nod there but there was no outright denunciation of hamas and and well, civilians it could be palestinian civilians yeah, it, it could was, be israeli it, civilians. It's very you know mealy mouth and, yeah. and anyone who is supportive of palestinians and the and and palestinian civilians right to life which they do have of course should denounce hamas first and foremost because hamas are the ones that are putting them in danger not just by committing atrocities against Israel and therefore it, it guaranteeing a reaction, a military reaction, but also literally using them as human shields, uh, uh, having their headquarters in hospitals, in places where civilians must, must gather and cannot leave. Hamas doesn't care about the people of Palestine. It sees them as collateral damage. 
in its greater, broader plan, which is outright, uh, which is outlined explicitly in its charter, of wiping Israel off the map. Yes. So, if I don't believe people when they say they are pro-Palestine who do not denounce Hamas, I can't. I don't think that's coherent. Well, can't you believe that they really hate the Jews? I can believe that right. exactly. Well, there you go. Well, so there that's we go. what they're trying to tell you. Yes. Well, so this is it. I mean, I've spoken to people who are activists who support Palestine, etc., who do denounce Hamas. But they, they don't do it at these gatherings. You know, I, that's what I'd like to say. You know, any commentator that you see on TV usually starts with, of course, I denounce the, the atrocities against the Israeli people, you know, what happened the other week. But they don't do it at these gatherings. I, that's, what I, that's the test. I think when 100,000 people marched in London for Palestine and there were people speaking on these platforms, I would have liked to have seen people there say, first, we denounce Hamas and everything that they've done. And they didn't. No. And they should have. Yes. And, and that would have alleviated my concerns about the anti-Semitism within that movement. It would have, but you see, had they done so, can you imagine what the reaction of that crowd would have been? Yes, they would have been killed. Right. So uh, you told me last night that the Metropolitan Police, yeah. the Met, as you call them, Yeah. I just want to say the entire phrase for my Swedish audience in case they don't understand what the Met is. And, and they should know that the Metropolitan Police, are, they are in London. They're yes. the London Police, yes. Yes, yes. It, uh, that's where the word metropolitan yes. yeah but there are other cities in the uk and yes people of course there are might not have <laughs> but you told me anyway that they had uh, not reacted against uh, people brandishing was it uh, hamas flags yeah, there was a, it was no not a hamas flag uh, there Calls was a, for jihad there, so there was a, fl- a guy with a flag that was i believe the al-qaeda flag okay not much better No, no, definitely <laughs> not. And he was screaming about cur- a curse on the Jews, I think he was screaming. It's quite explicit. Yes. Um, but he was eventually arrested, uh, only after a social media outcry. Because so, uh, uh, they do arrest people for brandishing, like, British flags or they, English flags. Yes, they have done. They've, they've arrested... Um, well, it depends on the context, I think. I haven't seen them arrest people... Uh, for brandishing British flags. But I saw someone, a police officer, escorting a man away for brandishing an Israeli uh, an Israeli flag, although they would claim it was probably for his own safety, I suppose. Uh, but they do arrest people for misgendering. That's happened. People have been arrested for calling a man a man um, because he identifies as a woman. Um, they've also arrested people and investigated people for mean tweets. Someone has served prison, people have served prison time for jokes, for distasteful jokes. So if there is a hate speech law, it is uh, not applied consistently. Let's put it that way. If you can stand on the streets and scream a curse on the Jews or call for jihad and you're not arrested, then there's something inconsistent at least about, about that. Um, the other example was the uh, members of a group called Hizbut Tahrir, which is a, a militant Islamist group. We have them here as well. Right. But they're banned in most Arab countries. Of course they are. Because they're not good news. And they were calling for jihad. And then the Met Police put out a statement saying, yes, but jihad means lots of different things. It can mean uh, an internal struggle, uh, a struggle to, to, to exempt yourself from sin. But this guy was screaming for jihad through armies that would march on the forces of Israel. Yes. The context couldn't have been clearer. And the Met Police were lying to us about their reasons for not taking action. And why do you think they are lying? Fear, I should imagine, for the same reason why they didn't investigate 
the rape of children in Rotherham and in the various northern towns. By Pakistani rape gangs. Yes. And they admitted it was because of uh, they didn't want to stir up racial tension or be accused of racism. So that's now confirmed. That's not me speculating. That is the fact. So they were prioritising identity politics and race relations over the rape of children. Well, I think if you're doing that, your moral compass is kind of skewed. Yes, and then and, what are a few Jews on top of raped children? Well, quite. Yes. And is it not, is it not the case that there is also a soft form of racism against British Muslims here? It's, it's implying that they shouldn't be subject to the same law as everyone else because they can't handle it, because they're like children, because they're bound to react violently. Well, there's the majority of British Muslims don't behave like that and don't support rape. So why treat, why treat them like this? You know, apply the law and arrest these people. That's what I would say. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. I don't really understand... Uh... Britain, I must admit, even right. though I was an ardent Anglophile in, in, in my tweens yes. before I actually went to England. Yes. Because Hence, I had gotten to know England through the books of P.G. Woodhouse. I was about and to say. I loved England. Yeah, but that never really existed. <laughs> <laughs> the books, you know. Yes. He, he was creating a kind of fantasy. And the five world. books and uh, Bill, that uh, mischievous child, Bill books. Oh, um, Just William. Yes, I, oh. I had all of them. I read them all. Ah, okay. I love them. I read some of them as a child. I loved them as well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but uh, I can't really uh, square it because England fought the Nazis. Yes. Yes. And England uh, issued the Balfour Declaration in yeah. 1917, which yeah. is uh, sort of the basis of the modern state of Israel. Of course. Uh, because it was, uh, Palestine was a, a British mandate. Yeah. It wasn't a Palestinian state. It was a British, well, protectorate or yeah. something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, where does the British, uh, either anti-Semitism or because the BBC refuses to call Hamas terrorists, so yeah, it wants odd. to call them militants, and and uh, so where the and uh, for for me that's anti-Semitism or at least uh, indifference to anti-Semitism. I think the uh, BBC have just changed their mind about that, and they've said they will now describe. Hamas as a group that has been prescribed as a terrorist group by the UK government. Bit of a mouthful. <laughs> well, but at least it's closer to the... Well, at least it is the good truth. for them. Yeah. I think once people are massacring kids at a music festival and burning children alive, I think if you don't call them a terrorist, then you're lying. <laughs> I think at that point, you know. So, yes. so the BBC have a lot to answer for. But the question is why. I don't think it can be all put down to anti-Semitism. I think it is... There's something about this movement, which people call leftist, but I don't even think it's leftist. And for whatever reason, uh, Jewish people are low down on the uh, 
on their hierarchy of grievances. And I think it's because they see them as privileged. I think, I think that's, they see them as white, even though the majority of people in Israel are not white. But I mean, you, you come from economically disadvantaged conditions. Yes. So you come from the left. Is well, that I a always fair said that. assumption? Well, yeah, but I don't, I now think left and right doesn't mean anything anymore. I, I, I don't even describe myself like well, that. Well, if I put forward the idea that the left is driven by the mortal sin of envy, what would you respond? Well, it never, I don't, I don't know whether that's what drives people. I wouldn't like to assume. I think the ideal in the beginning was about economic equality, was it not? Or at least redressing extreme economic inequality. I always saw socialism as a corrective to the excesses of capitalism in the way that someone like Schumpeter advanced. The idea that no one needs to be a multi-billionaire. You know, you can redistribute wealth to a degree, not to completely eliminate the notion of ambition or that, or that you know, you can't earn a lot and have what you want, but that the excesses could be curbed. And that's the way I sort of saw it. I mean, I earn a lot more now than I used to, and I'm happy to be taxed at the top rate. Really? Yeah, because I think I earn more and that's fine. Yes, but your taxes goes to, you know, the universities that promote woke ideology and it goes to the Metropolitan Police who can't arrest someone yeah. who, who's uh, calling for jihad. It yeah. goes to the BBC who obviously can't tell you the truth. Well, the license fee goes to the BBC, which I do pay. But yeah. yes, but the license fee is sort of mandatory, is it, it not? It is. Yeah, yes. yes, that's so, right. That's right. Uh, that but there are, lots of things, there are lots of things that my taxes go to that I do approve of. Sanitation, right. <laughs> people collecting bins, yes. uh, hospitals. Even the NHS is captured, but they still do a lot of good. I, I'm not one of those that, that thinks that uh, simply because a lot of the, the government spends the taxes in a way that I don't necessarily approve of means that it's a bad idea. I don't, I don't begrudge it. I think society needs to operate. So do I. Uh, and and I, so I'm not... Uh, but I also want it to operate well. I'm not a libertarian. I don't think that taxation is theft. I think it's, you know, but... but so I, in that respect, I think, I don't know if that's... I don't see how that's envy. I think... Well, if you have less and someone else has more. Yeah. And you want some that someone's more. That's envy. Isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And envy tends to drive you insane. But I've never been a communist. I've never said... Everyone should have exactly the same. No, but yes. Well, I'm not from the left, even though my I, I grew up in a in a home where my father was social democrat yes, or yeah. labor, as you'd call it. Yeah. But um, I've I've just always had it because if if you if you if you band them all together, and before we go we come to that, I I wanted to talk to you because I I tried to get you to answer where the anti-Semitism comes from in England. But I couldn't poss- possibly say any more than I could say where racism comes from, where uh, extreme homophobia comes from. I think, well, I'll tell you where I think it comes from, from human beings. I think there is always going to be an element within humanity which is hateful, doesn't like difference, uh, and that will manifest in, in various ways. And I don't think that is defeatable. I think the, the only solution to that is what I call social liberalism, civilization, is that we build up a civilized world so that such things are become marginalized, which is where we were heading and doing pretty well, you know, until, until wokeism, which re- resurrected it. So, you know, the, 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 the critical race theorists, for instance, have always said liberalism is the enemy because there is still racism. We have all these laws that say that everyone's got to be treated equally. And yet 
racism still lingers in society. That proves that liberalism has failed, which is a misunderstanding of liberalism because liberalism is aware that it is a, we are trying to make the best of an imperfectible world. It is an ongoing project. That's, that's the misunderstanding there. And liberalism has its successes, which are quite palpable. To live as a black man in the 1960s in America is not the same experience as living as a black man in the 2020s in America. And that's because of the success of social liberalism. And the woke movement and critical race theorists will say that, no, we, they, they are utopians in a way, or dystopians, really, that they, want to, they, they can produce it if they can control the words that people say and they can control the institutions, racism will be eradicated. And I don't think it will be. Uh, Anti-Semitism is, is called the, one of the world's oldest hatred. Yes. I don't think you will eliminate it. But no. what I think you can do is build up in a, a society, a civilised society, in which those that have anti-Semitic views know to keep them to themselves and don't have any, it has no clout, it has no currency. That's, that's how we deal with it. So where it comes from on the left, I don't know. I imagine there is a uh, strong correlation between Israel and uh, that overlap when it becomes criticism of the Israeli government to criticism of Jews is always there. I don't think, by the way, that criticism of the Israeli government is automatically anti-Semitic. But I think neither that, do I. I think there can be an overlap. Israelis do it all the time. They do exactly, <laughs> yeah. exactly. So I think they're. But uh, anti-Zionism is uh, uh, wanting to eradicate the Jewish state. Uh, yes, although some people who call themselves anti-Zionists say they don't mean that. They mean that they are against the set, set, further settlements on the West Bank and that kind of thing. Well, by now I think the burden of proof rests on them. Yeah, sure. But um, anti-Semitism, I think, is a kind of envy. That makes sense. Uh, and I, I don't think it has been resurrected entirely by the woke. It's also been uh, resurrected through mass immigration, Yeah, which is a leftist policy. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, pro-Palestinians, uh, the pro-Palestinian stance in the West is a leftist policy. Uh, gender theory, leftist policy, right? Critical well, race theory, leftist policy. Climate, climate hysteria, yeah. leftist policy. Or wouldn't, wouldn't it be better to say policies that are held by those who consider themselves leftists? Yes. Because I don't think it, they are authentically left-wing positions, insofar as all of these things have been substitutes for money, class, the traditional aims of, of Marxists. Yes, but in a way, I mean, the left lost the economic argument in 1989-1990, and then culture was all that was left. I and mean, they, that's exactly they, the time at which you had uh, the postmodernists applying their theories to society. Yeah. The applied turn, 1989, where suddenly, because the postmodernists were happy to theorize, they never expected public policy to change until then, and then there was an active effort by activist academics to see praxis of their ideas, to see things applied. So that's coincidental. Or so, maybe not. So what is your recipe to get rid of, uh, or not get rid of, um, but uh, to uh, sort of lessen the impact of the generations of young people all over the West? Because yeah. these ideas have been uh, espoused at universities here too. Yeah. Uh, when I studied film science, Back in the late 90s, or film studies, as you call it, we yeah. call everything. It's gender science here. It's not gender theory. And I bet it's not scientific at all. It is, it is <laughs> pretty much the same, I, I suspect, that you... I mean, it's yeah. Judith Butler, and we have some Swedish theorists that you've probably never heard of, but, but they're inspired by Shulamit Firestone and, yeah. and, and, and people of her ilk. 
Um, so, so, um, so, uh, what is your recipe to sort of uh, well, I don't save have, the West? Basically, I don't, I don't have the answers, uh, or at least if I do have the answers, they're not my answers. What I do in those the the the, the books that are now you've got in front of you is advance the cause of social liberalism because I think it is the best way to deal with these problems and has a proven track record of dealing with these problems. The other thing I think we could be doing is exposing the, uh, the these theories that are now dominating society for what they are, expose how, uh, how, how, how ineffective they are on the face of it, uh, how they achieve the opposite of what they claim to achieve. You know, critical race theory claims to want to eradicate racism whilst making us a more racist and racially divided society. Gender theory, uh, LGBTQIA plus advocacy claims to be uh, looking out for gay people whilst uh, mutilating gay children, heterosexualizing them through surgery, uh, preventing gay people from gathering and uh, ge generally uh, regressing gay rights by about three decades. So I think alerting people to the fact that these movements are in fact regressive but describe themselves as progressive, are illiberal but describe themselves as liberal. In other words, that they are, uh, how would you put it, they are engaged in linguistic prestidigitation. They are just simply... Linguistic? Uh, prestidigitation, a sleight Pre of hand. Oh, right. Presti... What? Pre <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, when you, when, you, when you... Sleight of hand, what a magician yeah, does. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I do yeah. know sleight of hand. I've just yeah. never heard that word. It ah. was... Uh, I, I love new words. Ah, well, <laughs> that, that is how I would describe it, because it's basically word games. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 that's, that's how they... You know, that, 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 that is also probably the key to their success because everyone wants to see themselves as fair and liberal and progressive. Those three words, diversity, equity, inclusion, mean the opposite of what they seem to mean. People think that equity means equality. It means the opposite. People think when they talk about inclusion, it means inclusion. It doesn't. It means exclusion of ideas they don't approve of, etc. So breaking through the linguistic minefield, that's what I'm really trying to do in the book. The New Puritans is spend so much time on the language what they say they mean and what they what they what they are actually saying anti-fascist anti-racist exactly exactly which people think if you hear anti-racist you think that's great because i don't like racism therefore i'm on their side not realizing that you're supporting the very thing you should be opposing because anti-racism doesn't mean anti-racism in the traditional sense it means being proactive in the discovery of racism which means that uh and and that you have to be particularly qualified to detect the nebulous racist structures that exist in society, and you have to accept that all white people are racist and complicit in white supremacy, even if they're not. That there is no such thing as a dichotomy of racist and not racist, as Ibram X. Kendi says, to be not racist is a form of racism. You know, so, so it, it, it's, it's a minefield. But once you've understood the games that they play, then you can demolish them quite easily. That People are frightened of the jargon. I think that's it. Critical race theorists spend a lot of time talking about how complex, you know, that if you see the arguments on Twitter, they'll often say, well, you don't understand this. I've got a degree in critical race theory. You don't understand that it's too complicated for you. Just accept what I say. But actually, it's dead simple. Yeah. And anyone can work that. You could read. There's a book uh, by Richard Delgado and Jean Stefancic, a married couple who wrote Critical Race Theory, an introduction aimed at teenagers, very short. It outlines explicitly how what critical race theory is all about from a critical race theorist's perspective. And you read that and you know what it is. And you know that it's illiberal and, and, and terrible for society. And, and so it's not difficult for people, but they just have to make the effort to understand it. And just exposing the inconsistency of it. You know, the gender theories, 
the idea that we have this innate gendered essence which is fixed so you have to change your body and fluid at the same time and can change every day there's no there's no consistency here well i think uh, the consistency is that if you are cis then gender does not exist but if you're mm. trans it definitely exists no, but it's don't. you're in the wrong one but they don't say that they say that if you are cis which is a word they use and i don't if you are cis you do have a gender identity you just don't know that you do which is like a priest saying you do have a soul whether you deny it or not yeah. they, they they say everyone has a gender identity and yet and yet judith butler says you don't and judith butler's their high priestess i mean she says there is no gender identity there are kind of the gender is a kind of uh, performance, a performative reenactment of rituals that are socially constructed that give the illusion of a gendered essence. So she actually says the opposite. She's saying there is no gender identity. We just it looks like there is. Um, but the way that it's been taken by her followers, her brood, is there is a complete misunderstanding, a complete reverse flip on that. But then that's not surprising because everyone who came in the wake of Foucault misunderstood Foucault. Um, you know, now his disciples now are effectively the kind of people who he would probably love to deconstruct, given that everything they play is power games. Yeah. You know, but but so it is about the inconsistencies and incoherence within the movement that are easily, it, you know, it falls apart when there's actual scrutiny. And so they have to dress it up with jargon. They have to make it impenetrable to the average intelligent person, because once it becomes impenetrable, it doesn't, it, 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 it collapses. Um, so that's what my, that's, if I have a recipe for getting us out of this, it is the promotion of traditional liberal values in tandem with uh, raising awareness of the movement and what it says and what it what it means. So you're calling for a jihad of liberal values. Jihad of liberal values. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to get that on a T-shirt. Yes. Yeah. And I'll probably be arrested for that, though. Uh, probably. But I think calling for liberal values, that's it's a dodgy, dodgy prospect. Thank you for coming to Deconstructive Criticism, Andrew Doyle. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Deconstructive Criticism. This episode's guest was Andrew Doyle. You can buy his books where you buy books, and you can find the link in the description of this episode on my webpage, aaronflam.com. Thank you for supporting Deconstructive Criticism. You can contribute on patreon.com slash aaronflam with PayPal, Bitcoin, and on Swish 0046-768-94-3737. 0046-768-94-3737. My own book, This is a Swedish Tiger, about how and why social democracy opened the door for Islamists to the West and their inherent Jew hatred, is available on Kindle. I am Aaron Flam. Until you hear from me next, have a good unit of time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.